Okay, uh, this is audience participation. How many of y'all have heard of the book Pilgrim's Progress at some point in your life? As I expected, most everybody. Second question, how many of you have actually read the book cover to cover? Okay, a much smaller group as I expected, yeah. But if you haven't read it, you're in the minority because the book Pilgrim's Progress is the most popular Christian book ever written second only to the Bible. It's an incredible story, but the fact of the matter is most of us haven't read it. I was reading a um, biography recently by Charles Spurgeon. This was his favorite book outside of the Bible, and he was said to have read it over a hundred times in his lifetime. I mean, this is remarkable to me. If I have a favorite book, I might read it two or three times in my lifetime, but not a hundred times. In fact, true confession, I just read the book Pilgrim's Progress for the first time over this past year, right? So it was, uh, to be honest with you, it was, I, I don't know why I waited so long. It was really a powerful book that gave imagery through the story that it just kind of sticks in your brain. If you've read it before, you know what that is. It just kind of paints a picture that you, you can't get, you can't shake. It's just so helpful. And so I'm really glad that I took the time to do that. But for those who haven't read the book, it's a, a book by, uh, about a man named Christian. It's an allegory. And so it's Christian, it's a story of his travel to what is called the celestial city. So it's basically a Christian's journey uh, to heaven. And the first obstacle that he encounters was called the the slough or the slough of despond. You can pronounce it either way. How many of you vote for slough? How many of you vote for slough? Okay, slough wins. So we'll go with slough. I prefer slough because it kind of fits better, but we'll go with slough of despond. So y'all say that with me. Slough of despond. Okay, so that's the first encounter. Picture this muddy bog. Okay, so you're walking down this pathway. There's a muddy bog in front of you. There's no possible way to get around it. So you just simply have to walk through it. But with each step, it just becomes stickier and muddier and nastier. And then the next thing you know, you not only can't move, you start to sink like quicksand. And so in the story, Christian finds that the more he struggles, the deeper he sinks to this slew of despond. And so there was a man who came along called Help. And Help is a character that represents the Holy Spirit. Help comes along and he lifts Christian out of the slew of despond and sets him on solid ground. So Christian, at this point in the story, asks an obvious question. He says, why has this pit not been mended? Or to put it in a modern vernacular, why hasn't someone done something about this, Right? Help's response was interesting. He said, the miry slough is such a place as cannot be mended. In other words, no one, no matter who you are, can avoid the reality of walking through seasons of despondency in life. Now, some may be more prone to it than others, perhaps people like me, but eventually all of us are going to find ourselves kind of stuck in a pit of despair. It's an unavoidable reality in our journey to the celestial city. But the question is, what do we do when we get stuck? How do we respond? 
Well, this morning, we're going to look at one man's response to that situation. You know his story. It's a man named Jonah who finds himself stuck in a watery grave. And Scripture records his prayer from within his pit of despair. And we've been looking at important prayers of the Bible all through the summer. And so hopefully, there are some things that we'll learn from this prayer that will help us when we find ourselves stuck in the pit of despair. So before we do that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for the way that you spoke the scripture, giving us stories of people's lives that we can relate to, people who find themselves in difficult situations just like we do, that that these are stories where the Bible comes really near to us. Because we understand through someone else's experience what we are going through in our own lives. And so I do pray, Lord, that through your word this morning and through the work of your spirit in each of our hearts, that that you will speak truth to us in a way that comforts and strengthens us, that, that gives us guidance when we find ourselves in some difficult places in life, which is inevitable for all of us this side of heaven. So Lord, would you... Work these things according to the power of your spirit and the truth of your word and to the hearts of your people for the praise and glory of your name. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you want to, you can turn to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Jonah is a kind of a hard book to find. It's right in the middle of all the prophets. So if you go past Daniel and Obadiah and Hosea, eventually you're going to bump into Jonah. So if you want to follow along, I'll have verses up there, but sometimes it's good to kind of follow along in your Bible. So I invite you to do that. As always, we want to start with kind of understanding the context of the prayer that we're going to look at. And like I said earlier, this is a familiar story. So much of this will be a reminder, but I do want to urge you to listen closely because there may be some new things that you can learn along the way. The story begins when it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah at the beginning of chapter one where he says, arise, go to Nineveh and preach repentance essentially to the wicked people who live there in that city. And Jonah knows that God is asking him to share the good news of God's mercy and grace. And and there are wicked people, so yes, there's judgment for sin, but he's saying, but tell them, tell them there is salvation for everyone who repents and believes. In our story, we can see that Jonah really doesn't respond. He doesn't say a word. He doesn't ask any questions. He he doesn't uh, have any concerns. He just simply turns and runs the opposite way. His goal, according to verse 3, was to flee from the presence of the Lord. And, And we need to ask ourselves, Why such a dramatic response? This is really unusual to what God has just asked this prophet, which is what he's called to do, and he runs in the opposite direction. Why did that happen? Well, part of it was because Nineveh was an Assyrian city, and the Assyrians were kind of like the terrorists and extremists of their day. Today, we might compare them to a group like the Taliban or, or ISIS in our world. So you might expect Jonah to at least ask questions like, why? Why these people? It's a wicked people. Why don't you bring down fire and judgment? But but he didn't ask any questions. He just ran the opposite direction. 
And here's why I think Jonah's response was so extreme. Because Jonah lived during the same time as the prophet Hosea. And Hosea proclaimed that God was going to bring judgment, not against Nineveh, but against his people, Israel. Because of their sinful rebellion, the prophets had been preaching repentance to them, but they've been refusing to follow. And so he says, there will be judgment that comes upon Israel. And he goes on to say that that judgment will be carried through by the Assyrian people. And so, in essence, God was asking Jonah to preach to a people who would one day conquer and capture his very own family and friends. It's like telling someone before our tragedy in the United States, hey, they're going to fly planes into the Twin Towers and thousands are going to die, but go preach God's mercy and grace and tell them to repent and believe and they will be saved. And so you can see why, why Jonah was reluctant to follow through with that request. Jonah had so much animosity built up in his heart, he had absolutely no room for forgiveness. And I think we need to probably pause here and ask ourselves, is there someone in my life that I have been unwilling to forgive? Someone that I've built up so much animosity towards that I don't have any room for forgiveness? People maybe that I'm sure God has asked you to approach, but like Jonah, you've said no, and you've run the opposite direction. Well, I think it will be important for all of us to learn from the example of Jonah because he was unwilling to push past that barrier of bitterness and unforgiveness. And as a result, God will imprison him in order that he may set him free. It says that Jonah went down to Joppa, which is a, a coastal city on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It said that he boarded a merchant ship and he went down into the belly of that ship, which he then soon fell asleep. So the ship takes off, but once they get out to the sea, uh, immediately a, a storm, a fierce storm arises, so much so that it, it threatens the ship's integrity and everyone's life is in danger. So the story tells us that each of the sailors on the ship pray to their own God. They, they have their own God, not one God, but many gods, and they each pray to their own God, but to no avail. The only one not included is Jonah because he's asleep in the bottom of the ship. So they go down and get Jonah, and they say, pray to your God so that he might rescue us. And there's really no indication that Jonah ever even complied with their request. Because the next thing we know is that they cast lots to see who might be the source of the sea's fury that threatened to kill them. As we all know, they cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. It was all his fault. So Jonah knows that this is true. He recognizes what he's doing. And so he tells them, you've got to throw me overboard in order to save your lives which they were not really excited about doing because they were fearful that this God who was in control of the seas would then turn this, his judgment upon them for killing that prophet. But they really had no other choice because they were about to all perish in the storm. So they throw Jonah overboard and he sinks into the depths of the sea. He would certainly have drowned 
had God not, according to Scripture, appointed a great fish. Now, we say it as a well. Perhaps it was. We really don't know. But it was a fish that was big enough to, to swallow Jonah in which Jonah then existed in the belly of that fish, struggling for life for three days and three nights. He goes down into the belly of that fish. So when you le- read the story of Jonah, it's, it's really poetic in a sense because the terminology is very intentional. It tells us that he goes down to Joppa. Then he goes down into the ship. And then he goes down into the sea. And then he goes down into the belly of the fish. Deeper and deeper and deeper into a pit of despair. And from this pit is Jonah's prayer. Let's look at that together. Turn, if you will, to Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried out from the depth of Sheol. He heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have expelled you from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The the great deep engulfed me. Weeds were trapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. I want to pause there to just make sure we get a picture of, of Jonah's pit of despair. It says that he called out from, from the belly of the fish, which had to be a very dark and a very hopeless place. It was a pl- place where he was literally surrounded by death. It says that he cried out from the depth of Sheol. That's from the, the grave. Literally, in this context, he's, he's crying out from a watery grave. And so in Jonah's mind, he believes that this fish will become his coffin. It has no expectation of surviving. But notice how Jonah describes his situation. Look again at verse 3 when he says to God, you cast me into the depth. Not the sailors. You, God, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And then later, your breakers and billows passed over me. So Jonah's recognizing, even though he tried to, as we saw earlier, flee from the presence of God, It doesn't matter where he goes, God is going to be with him in the midst of it. Even in the darkness and hopelessness of where he was in that moment. It's what the psalmist says in Psalm 139 verse 7. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Just like Jonah, he says, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and show, I think that's interesting, make my bed. Now, when you make your bed somewhere, it's somewhere that you intentionally want to live. And so Jonah makes his bed in Sheol. He's still there. Even though Jonah was knocking on death's door, God was still with him. In the darkest, most hopeless place he could ever imagine he would be. God let Jonah run from him. 
knowing that he would suffer the consequences of sin. It talks about how the, the seaweed was literally wrapped around his neck like a noose, surrounded by the stench of death. But when he cried out to God, he said God answered him, that he drew near. He says, even if I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are with me. Look at how it continues there at the second part of verse 6. But you have brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. I've said this before, but these are two of the greatest words in Scripture, but you. But you have brought me up from the print, O Lord my God. And we need to know and have conviction that, that what is true of Jonah is equally true for us. The psalmist says in Psalm 103, verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of your benefits. For you or the one who forgives all your iniquity, our iniquity. You heal all of our diseases. You rescue our life from the pit. You crown us with steadfast love and mercy and satisfy us with your good so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Ephesians chapter two tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Talk about being surrounded by death. That, that death included us. Drowning in the sea of our own sinful rebellion. The Bible talks about how we were indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were ruled by a sinful nature and powerless to break free. But here are those incredible words again. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But God. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead and our trespasses and sins made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. Just like Jacob, God draws near even in the darkest moments of our sinful rebellion. And like the sailors in the ship, if we cry out to any other God, there will be no answer because there is only one true God. And those who worship false idols forfeit God's mercy and grace. It was from this watery grave that Jonah then offers this sacrifice of praise. God heard his cry. So in verse 9 it says that he spoke with a voice of thanksgiving. And the reason why is because even though he had turned his back on God, God had not turned his back on him. Even though he was not faithful, God remained faithful. And he is rejoicing in the fact that no matter how dark it became because of his own sinful rebellion, he was only one voice away from God's rescue. And he knew that when he cried out, God had answered him. He deserved death, but he received deliverance. He understands now more than ever what he says there at the end, salvation is truly from the Lord. And so 
with that, I want us to think back to the beginning where we talked about this miry slaw that could not slew, that could not be mended, right? And we talked about how that was because all of us at one point or another are going to find ourselves in a pit of despair. But the reality is there are all kinds of pits that we can fall into in our lifetime. For example, sometimes we may have been trapped because of our own sinful rebellion. What I'm talking about here is really who we were apart from Christ. The Bible calls this the pit of destruction, okay? This is where we were lost in our sinful rebellion. This is like the sailors when they're trying to call out to something other than the one true God. And like the sailors, when we're in trouble, sometimes we try to do the same. Maybe we're discouraged and in a hard place, and so we look to money to set us free. We buy things hoping that it'll make us feel better. How many have ever done that? You better raise your hand (laughs) because we've all done it, myself included, and it doesn't work, does it? Sometimes we can fool ourselves and convince ourselves if we buy something for someone else, but then we realize that the only reason we're doing that is to gain their approval. Same problem. It doesn't satisfy. Sometimes we can look to find our value and worth through our career. I know there's a lot of students here this morning. You are hoping that you make good grades to secure your future success. But even when you get there and you accomplish all that you intended, you one day realize this doesn't do it. It's not enough. And so we seek to be satisfied in other things, but it all falls short. We seek to be satisfied even in good things like marriage or family. But the problem is we are sinful people and we all fall fall short. There is only one relationship that ultimately and completely satisfies what our heart longs for most. And that is a relationship with Jesus Christ And it's what we talked about in communion, that we may know him, not know about him, but enter into an intimate relationship, passionately pursuing what it means to know him and be known by him. That is the only thing that can set us free. Like the character in Pilgrim's Progress, that's what takes us out of the miry pit and puts us on solid ground. It's the only hope for for rescuing us from sin slavery. It's why the psalmist in Psalm 40 writes that I waited patiently for the Lord and that he inclined and heard my cry. It says that, here it is, he brought me up from the, there it is, the pit of destruction out of the miry clay and he set my feet on a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. He says, many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who made the Lord his trust. Now, blessed is the man who doesn't put his hope in false idols. And it doesn't have to be some figurine carved out of wood. It can be other things that we look to for security and hope and joy. Like Jonah, we need to learn that salvation is only from the Lord. Now, sometimes it's that pit of rebellion, but sometimes even when we are in Christ, we can find ourselves in a pit, and I'm going to call this the pit of disobedience. This is where we're like Jonah, where we know what's right, but we willfully choose to do what's wrong. We just go the opposite way, which is exactly what was happening with Jonah. 
And I think we've all been guilty of this, so we know how this ends, right? Obedience is the belief that there is goodness built within the boundaries of God's design. And there is destruction when we willfully choose to go outside of those boundaries. And not just destruction in our own lives. As HUD often says, sin splatters. (laughs) And it affects all the people around us. And that includes hidden sin. In fact, I'm convinced that the longer sin stays hidden, the more destructive it becomes. And sometimes we get stuck in that place. And so the question is, how do we break free? I think we look back to what we talked about in Psalm 51 last week with David in his psalm of confession where we learn that repentance is what sets us free. He said, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not refuse. What this is telling us is that as long as we are willing to surrender, God is always, always, always willing to save. That's why we pray like he does in in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Repentance leads to rescue, inviting us into the beauty of God's redemption. But there's one more pit that I think probably, in all likelihood, most of us will fall into at some point in our life, and it's not the pit of rebellion, It's not the pit of disobedience. It's what I'm calling the pit of disorder. And this one's unique because unlike the other two, this is not one that we create for ourselves. This is the pit of despair that we can fall into simply because we are living on this side of heaven. We are living in a sin-cursed world. And so it happens when we step into the miry clay of disease or sickness. Or even just the fact of our our aging bodies as they begin to to break down. And so we may feel trapped by terminal illness. Or we may struggle with, with mental illness. But if you are in Christ, and this is important, if you are in Christ, then you need to take comfort in knowing that he is with you even in those dark places. And I'm not going to tell you that it makes everything better and you no longer experience pain and difficulty. But here's one of the things that I've learned in my own life. We can often make our pain more difficult on ourselves when we end up in situations like this because often we look back to things that we've done that we know were not good decisions and we start to extrapolate that and and conclude, well, that's why I'm, I'm suffering like I am. That's why I have this sickness, or that's why God's punishing me. But I just want to bring you great news to let you know that's not how it works. Because, listen to this, every ounce of punishment that we have ever deserved was placed on Jesus Christ at the cross. And so, if you are a child of God, you cannot be punished for anything that Christ hasn't already covered for you on the cross. Do you understand that? And so whenever you are in those dark places and the tendency is to look back and somehow convince yourself that you're being punished for past sins, you just need to tell yourself that's not true. By the authority of Jesus Christ and the truth of his word, that punishment was taken care of at the cross. And so what we need to do is look beyond our current circumstances and see our future hope. 
This is where we need to understand that life could strip every possible thing away from us, but it cannot remove our greatest treasure. That we are eternally secure in Jesus Christ. He has the power to rescue us, even from this pit of despair. That's why 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And and if you've been in one of those dark places, if you are in one of those dark places, you know, as I have experienced as well, that sometimes it doesn't feel like he's very near. But let's learn from Jonah that no matter how dark and deep that place may be, he is with you in the midst of it. And and even when it feels like you can't hold on anymore, you can take comfort in knowing that he is holding on to you. So rest in that promise. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that there is no possible way to flee from your presence. We could be at the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, and you are always there. As Jeff reminded us last week, you, we are in your shadow because you are always standing next to us. And so, Lord, help us in our moments of despair to always cry out to, know, to you and know that you answer, that you draw near. Father, help us to care for one another so that when we have friends and family who are in hard places, that we don't immediately go to try and fix their problems, but we first remind them that they are secure in God's love and grace and mercy that surrounds them. Lord, may we find comfort in this truth, have courage to cry out to you, and have faith that you draw near. We pray this in your name. Amen. You would stand. And this is an old song that I want us to sing as a prayer. So keep our passage in mind as we sing this prayer together. If you would stand. So a couple of things when we close here. I don't want you to be discouraged by some of the reality of these pits of despair. Some of you right now are in really good places. I mean, God is doing miraculous things in your life, and you have every reason to rejoice, and you should. So so please do that. But in life, we will all find ourselves in some dark places, and we need to remember this truth. I don't know if you noticed in the song and you see this in Scripture. He talks to his own soul. He says, oh, my soul, put your hope in God. And we need to do that in our own lives. I can't tell you how many times I've sat next to somebody in a hospital bed with a terminal illness, including my own brother. And every part of me wanted to tell them, you're going to be healed. That you will experience the miracle of God's healing. I sat next to my brother one time with that very thought. And my brother said, yeah, I will be healed. And I remember thinking in my mind, but what if he doesn't? And he says, no, you don't understand. I don't know if it's on this side of heaven or the next, but I will be healed. And so even if we don't experience that miracle of healing, here's a miracle that I can promise you, you can experience. That's the miracle of God's presence, the miracle of his comfort, and the miracle of your eternal hope in him. That is certain. Hang on to that.